0: good evening sports zonians how's everybody doing out there tonight i am mike aglioloro i am your host for this is sports zone we're recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the i-95 sports and entertainment radio network we got a good show for you tonight Obviously, this is gonna this is gonna be a very interesting show tonight. Uh, we should be joined by Dave Hastings in a matter of moments. Hopefully, we get a little appearance from Eric Tressler here tonight. Uh, if not, well, I'm sure he's got plenty to say on the events of the last 48 hours, um, and we can get to that at a later time if need be. Um, but here's the here's the deal, folks we we don't com- completely have a lot to talk about tonight. But I do want to thank everybody. For listening to us whether you're listening to us on google podcast apple podcast spotify stitcher tune anchor bullhorn all the podcast networks we always thank you for listening to us so yeah we are in the time of the year march madness is of course around the corner um but we this is the time of year we're supposed to be getting into baseball this is the time of the year we're supposed to be having baseball obviously we got basketball stuff going on a little bit of uh, football news but football is now taking the back seat. We're supposed to be able to pay attention to baseball and what is going on there, and we can't do that. We talked a little bit about this last week. We've kind of been ramping up talking about this. So three months ago, the league locked the players out in baseball after the expiration of the collective bargaining agreement, and the commissioner, Rob Manfred, said that they locked the players out in an effort to jumpstart negotiations and then the league didn't hold any negotiations with the players for about a month afterwards. So now we get to the last couple weeks here. Manfred and the commissioner canceled a bunch of spring training games, and the owners were steadfast in the belief that if an agreement did not come as of Monday, yesterday, February 28th, that uh, regular season games would be lost. Then it seemed like there was momentum to a deal because yesterday was probably the longest negotiations between the players and the owners that we have seen since this whole thing started. It actually seemed like both sides wanted to get a deal done here. They ended negotiations last night at about 1 o'clock this morning and they agreed to come back at about 11 o'clock. Earlier today, and the deadline was 5 p.m. today, Tuesday, as we are recording this to get a deal done where the league would be forced, forced, big quotation marks, forced to cancel regular season games. And while five o'clock came and went and we did not get an agreement because at the end of the day. The owners, and there's a really great piece on ESPN.com written by Jeff Passan, the, the main uh, baseball writer for ESPN. It is called Inside the Self-Inflicted Crisis Boiling Over as MLB's Lockout Deadline Arrives. And this is a really great piece to really show what the machinations of this whole process and the owner's motivations are. Behind this whole process have been from the jump, and how you know we say on the show all the time, cousin David just said it to me a little while ago. How you doing there, cousin David? Just said it to me a little while ago. Baseball has the strongest union in all of baseball, or excuse me, all of sports. Screwed that one up. All of sports, baseball, strongest union. Well, for the last twenty-five years, twenty-seven years since the strike of nineteen ninety-four the owners have heard that rhetoric and you could tell little by little it pissed them off to the point where they basically consolidated their power over the course of the last 15 years to the point where they could do something like this and feel like the players were powerless to stop it and at the end of the day no matter how strong your union is this right here is proof the billionaires are the ones who hold all the cards I got a lot more I want to say on this subject, but I welcome Dave Hastings to the program now. Dave, how you doing there?
1: Uh, I'm not doing too bad, Mike. How about yourself? Good, sir.
0: I'm okay. All things considered, I'm okay. Obviously. Are you a little huh?
1: upset about what's going on with the baseball world?
0: yeah obviously I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little perturbed by it I mean listen we were talking last week about it and I said that I felt like they would get an agreement. I didn't feel like it would be by the deadline but I felt like it would be within a week of that maybe we wouldn't have games canceled but uh, I, I got a lot to say about this and I, I find it funny this lockout's been going on for three months. And obviously, it's the way the sports calendar works that it seems like nobody really started paying attention to what was going on until after the Super Bowl. And that's just the way the sports calendar works. If I were to start throwing some tinfoil around, though, if I were the owners and I was trying to assert my power and show the players that you are beholden to us, wouldn't that be the best time to do something like this when you know nobody's watching? Until the last final seconds.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can see that being the power play, but at the same time, I think it's also one of those things where, you know, guys like that kind of prefer having all the eyes on them. So it kind of can go either way if you really think about it, but I could see why uh, thinking like that, but I could definitely see why they would have more of the mentality of like, yeah, fuck it, let's really flex our muscles when everybody is paying attention to us. And not to mention, they're dominating the ratings. That
0: is a fair point. I, uh, what I am going to say back is I feel like a lot of the reason why this lockout and why a lot of the um, sticking points in the negotiation are happening is because the majority of owners, and when I talk about the owners here, I want it very clear. I'm not talking about Hank Steinbrenner of the Yankees. I'm not talking about Steve Cohen of the Mets. I'm not talking about the Guggenheim Partners who run the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'm not talking about big market owners who have no problem investing in their teams because they want to. Uh, they they want to enjoy their teams as more than a piggy bank. They want to actually you know, um, contribute to an on-field product that their fan base and their constituents and everything can be proud of. I'm not even talking about the Tampa Bay Rays who are the only small market team, uh, that can say, you know, we don't have a lot of money to do things, but we're going to do everything in our power to not let this stop us from putting a competitive ball club on the field. And you have 15 years worth of data to suggest that the Tampa Bay Rays are really the only small market club in baseball who does so much with so little that when when they cry poverty, you can kind of believe it simply because, you know, we know you're doing everything you can to be competitive. And damn it, you're competitive than a lot of more teams than, you know, you're competitive than a lot of teams that have more resources than you do. And they don't put them where they need to. And you do everything you can. You are the best team on the planet at squeezing 15 cents out of a dime. But those are really the only ones who get a pass from me on this. Because I said last week, it's the small and the mid-market owners who this lockout is really about. And they're really the ones trying to stop the progression here because, you know, we live in the in the, uh, the, the, the Northeast. So for years, we heard about how the Wilpons turned the Mets into their own personal bank, piggy bank. Got owners all across the sport doing that the small and mid-market owners you see teams with a payroll of 200 million dollars and then you got teams in the sport that have a 50 million dollar payroll a team that has a 50 million dollar payroll in the pittsburgh pirates who is owned by someone who is at one point considered one of the 10 richest owners in all of baseball and all you could do is put 50 million dollars back into your team you just want to be able to keep ringing up the cash while doing nothing to prove why you have that team and doing nothing to help that team. So to go back to your initial point there, Dave, uh, I agree with what you're saying, but a lot of these owners are gutless pussies, pardon the language, who like to manipulate things in the shadows and like to get as much out of their product by putting nothing into the product and like the secrecy, like having... A gutless weasel, in my opinion, like Rob Manfred as their commissioner. I, I, I Dave, I, I found a commissioner I dislike more than Roger Goodell. I found a commissioner I dislike more than Roger okay. Goodell. I, I, and I'll tell you why, but I, I, your response.
1: Well, I mean, look, <laughs> you don't become a billionaire or stay a billionaire unless you know how to manipulate and, you know, make the system work in your favor, and that's basically what these guys do. Um, You know, from a financial perspective, they're playing the system, and they run the system, so it makes it even easier to play the system. And they're, you know, yeah, they might be holding up games, but they know in the long run they're just making themselves money because it's still going to end up working out at some point or another. So I think for them it's just more – patience and 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 realizing that they have more money than the players do to to play the long game
0: and obviously there is a long game at play here so I can give you that point um I have like 75 different ways I want to go here tonight so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep myself on the straight and narrow here to kind of Go with the narrative here. So I apologize if I'm kind of going all over the place, but obviously, listen, I don't think it's a secret. Baseball is my favorite sport. It's a sport that I've been hearing has been dying for the last 20 years because we have all these other sports that, quite frankly, I can agree are so much more exciting than baseball. Um, there's a lot more payoff to it just by watching one game than there is by watching baseball. And now as we've gotten older and everything, and there's so many more forms of entertainment out there, the idea of people like me and Eric who grew up with baseball and have memories tying ourselves back to childhood and things like that, you don't see that that much. And to see something like this happen because of overall greed – Because the small and mid-market owners are trying to protect their piggy banks while putting as little into it as possible. And I, I know that on these things, it's hard to take one side over the other. And you could say, well, I'm on the player side. Well, the players are making a lot of money here and doing all these things. You know something? This isn't about the players who are already millionaires. The fight that the players are trying to fight here is to get for the guys before they reach free agency. Because in the system that baseball has right now, you can manipulate a lot of things. So you can get superstar caliber talent while not even paying anywhere close to what the market value is. And that's what the players are fighting for, and I firmly believe that. And the reason why we're in a lockout right now and the reason why games just got canceled is because the owner's idea of making progress and meeting what the players' demands were was such an incremental increase that, quite frankly, it's a drop in the bucket. It wasn't a real increase, if we're being honest. Now, I I know, Dave... Base, baseball, I know you know some things. I, I I know we talked a little bit about this last week. You hear what I'm saying about where the fight really is. You get what I'm saying on that one. Like, I don't know how much you know about the arbitration and process, but you get the idea that when a player comes up from the minor leagues, the team has control over that player for six years. The first two years of that six-year period, there's no salary arbitration. There's no free agency. It's straight league minimum. And then for the next three or four years, depending on whether or not the clubs can manipulate the service time to get an extra year out of them at a salary arbitration or a league minimum level, that's that's the best they could hope for, which is salary arbitration where numbers are exchanged between the club and the player. And if it doesn't work out, they go to an arbitration court And whatever the number the player winds up getting, it's not even close to what the player would get on the open market if that player is of a level of a guy like a Fernando Tatis Jr., who the Padres bought out of his arbitration years for that $400 million contract a few years ago. We've seen instances where teams will buy the player out of those arbitration years, but it tends to pale in comparison to what they could have gotten on a free agency level.
1: Okay, that makes sense. I did not know. All of that information. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, look, when it's all really said and done, it sounds like the owners are basically trying to, you know, be able to take the make the most or take the most advantage of a guy. Who
0: oh no, uh, hello.
1: Basically, as much of his career as they can before he has the opportunity to go out and, you know, make his money. And I'm sure their justification is, well, look at the contracts these guys sign, you know, after they get out of arbitration. But uh, I'll I'll go back to what I said last week. I don't care what sport it is. I am always going to side with the players over ownership when it comes down to how they should be paid. Word. I I can't not do it. Um, You know, yes, these players make a hell of a lot more money than I make. Um, But when it's really all said and done What they make Is a fraction of what they Help the owner make and what the owners Are worth and You know God I wish I could be a billionaire But I'm not so fuck them So yeah, yeah. I could watch more Guys especially I mean Think about, about the amount of minority players That come up in the league and, and this is Not just an opportunity to completely change Their lives around but it's an opportunity to change the lives of everybody that helped them get there and the generations that come after them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the impact that that can have on a community, on a family. Um, The positive repercussions that can come out of that are leaps and bounds above a billionaire, you know, keeping his generational wealth and basically just, you know, continuing to pass that money along inside their own family and not you know, yeah, they donate to charities. Any charity donation over a certain amounts a tax write-off. They, they know exactly how much it is mm-hmm. and they write the same thing off so they get their money back from Uncle Sam anyway. So, you know, every, anybody that's rich people do these donations and they're just amazing souls most of them get every dollar they donated back and if not, they get about 60% of it back. So... Mm-hmm. Like they're really not doing some life changing thing, you know. They're just putting the money up front, and then Uncle Sam pays them back on the back end.
0: Yeah, yeah. And now I agree with everything you just said there. The like I said, I got I got a lot of different ways I want to go here on this, so I I apologize if I'm not keeping uh, a straight track here.
1: No, by all means, you got to keep going because there's really nothing else that happened this week. I was literally trying to think. I'm like, well, what can I bring up? And literally the only thing I have is that Dallas is on committal to keeping Amari Cooper on their roster, which doesn't even matter on March 1st. So who cares? Yeah, and then the Bulls got blown out by Miami last night in a battle for the one seed in the Eastern Conference, which puts them, I believe, 13 games below 500 against the current playoff teams in the
0: NBA. Ooh, that's bad. That's bad. But well, like, there's go ahead.
1: games left, so who the hell knows? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so Hard to justify making a huge deal out of one game, but yeah, their average margin. Lost in Miami is like twenty-two points. They're they're zero two against them, and I think they lost by twenty-six and like twenty.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I do appreciate you let me ramble here a little bit on this because I got a lot. And thank you, thank the you. Guy. All right. Um, well, I mean, the one I, well, there's a few things we could go to, but I, you know. To stay with that for a little while, what we were talking about there. So one of the things that the players proposed, there's a thing in baseball called Super 2. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not 100%. uh, If I say this wrong, I apologize. But I told you a, a, a big league club gets a prospect. They get six years of control over that prospect. Well, if you manipulate the service time to a certain time, Because I I believe it's you have to stay on the big league roster for 172 days to get a full year of service time. Super 2s is basically, you take the 22% of prospects who played, and it was, I don't remember the exact words, but basically if you manipulate the service time, you can stretch another year out of a player. So it goes from six years of team control to seven years of team control on the big league roster. Chris Bryant was a victim of this, uh, his rookie season. The Cubs uh, held him out. Uh, they they kept him in AAA for the first week of the 2015 season, I believe it was. He was already Major League ready. He wasn't going to do anything else in the minor leagues. They kept him down with the sole purpose of being able to get an extra year of team control out of him. And as a result of that, he took them to court. The court found in favor of the Cubs – because at the end of the day, you can't necessarily fault the clubs for manipulating the rules as they are written. But at the end of the day, you're screwing a guy out of money that he rightfully deserves because of what he brings into your team. So what the, what the players proposed in this, expanding the amount of players uh, uh, eligible for a year early of arbitration by about 33%, that was considered a non-starter. For the owners, they wanted to implement a bonus pool for all players uh, still under team control in those six years. They wanted the bonus to pool to be $100 million per year. The league went from $20 million at the beginning of the month to $30 million today. And Manfred tried to act like they did something. Oh, we increased our offer by 33%. You know, the funny thing about percentages is. You can have a big percentage on a small amount. I know this better than anyone because I work in a retail store where I'm one of the lowest volume stores in my district, but I have really good percentages on the one product that this store actually sells and gets all the profit off of. I have the best percentages of any store in my district off this and I do it because I'm the lowest volume store there is. So while my high percentage may seem like a lot. When you look at the volume in comparison to the other stores, it's really not a lot. So guys like Manfred use percentages to make it sound like they did something when they really didn't do anything. They didn't do a goddamn thing on that one. Players wanted 100. They came down to 85 million a year, I believe. Manfred did nothing on that one. They they went to 30. And that will let me transition into the collective bargaining uh, tax or the uh, competitive balance tax, as it's called, which, Dave, I'm sure you know about this one. Baseball doesn't have a salary cap, per se, but we do have the competitive balance tax and the luxury tax line. I know you know about this one, right? Did I get credit? You
1: might as well talk to me like I'm an amateur because I genuinely, I might know, but can't say okay. I'm to be able to explain it to somebody.
0: All right. Okay. I don't want to talk to you like you're five. You're my friend. I like you. Um, but um, all right, basically, right. We've, <laughs> we've talked about the luxury tax line before. Basically, in 2003 was when they instituted this luxury tax line where if you go over a certain amount in spending, you are taxed for every dollar over that luxury tax line that you spend. And that money is supposed to be funneled to the lowest revenue drawing teams in the league. That's what it is. What has basically happened over the last 19 years since this was implemented is since the tax line, the tax numbers have gone up. Every team has basically followed this luxury tax line as an unofficial salary cap. Even the Yankees. Have been beholden to this luxury tax line over the better part of the last decade. As I'm sure Eric can attest, and I know cousin David's in there, well, cousin David ain't here anymore. Okay. He was here at one point. They can both test the Yankees have been beholden to this luxury tax line for a long time. Long time. Uh basically since Jeter and Mariano retired, they've been under they've been, you know, using that luxury tax line as a break-even measure. And it has served as a as a salary cap basically for these teams. So the players wanted to, and Dave, you know this, even in the team, the leagues that have salary caps, the salary cap line goes up exponentially every year, correct? I think 2020 was probably the only year where the salary cap line didn't go up because of the pandemic. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. So in this collective bargaining agreement, I believe the luxury tax line was at 210 million for last season. The owners' latest proposal had the salary had the luxury tax line going up to about 224 million next season and that's staying at that line for the two seasons after and then there would be raises in the 4th and 5th year with the highest being 240 million i believe with the players proposal the last year would see the competitive balance tax raise uh the line would be set at 265 million dollars and this is where i'm gonna go a little off the rails here and i'm gonna go into uh uh, dave you know i'm generally not the one who does the tinfoil hat theories right yes
1: (laughs) yes gentlemen (laughs) <laughs> say that say
0: that one more time say that one more time
1: I said, that gentleman's not currently with us but shout out to eric
0: yes no shout out to eric cousin david has gotten involved in the tinfoil hat theories i think you have done the tinfoil hat theory a couple times in the past i'm generally the one who stays away from the tinfoil i'm, I'm good with the tinfoil i you know it, it keeps food fresh but outside of that i don't need the tinfoil Now, we're going to to go with some tinfoil here. I'm going to throw some tinfoil around like it's Fright Night and we wanted to toilet paper some trees. So here's the deal. You have these small and mid-market owners who like getting their revenue sharing from the owners who pay the luxury tax, but don't like the idea of someone coming in fresh off of buying a team who suffered no losses in the pandemic who set a precedent or set a line that said in his introductory press conference said, I, if I feel like if, if this team can't win a world series within three to five years that I would consider that a disappointment, a man who flat out said, you don't buy a a sports team to make a profit. You buy a sports team for the fans and the fan base. And the small and the mid-market owners who like using their teams as a piggy bank, who never reinvest in their teams, they heard his statements, and you could see the puddle forming under their leg. And then back in November, they saw this man spend close to $300 million in player contracts over the course of Thanksgiving weekend when they were eating their fucking leftovers. The same guy who for the last two off seasons, they have done everything in their power to stop this man from stocking his front office with qualified executives from their organization because they didn't want him in the league in the first place. And they tried to stop him from entering the league. Dave, I'm telling you right now, I know you may think I'm nuts but a large portion of why we're in a lockout right now and why the owners don't want to expand luxury tax lines and expand um, you know, uh, dollars in terms of uh, bonus pools and all those things is because they see a guy like Steve Cohen coming and the very idea of an owner who has no problem giving his players and his fans what they want because he wants a winner, and he doesn't need his club to be a piggy bank. He said in his introductory press, press conference, I got money. I don't need this team to make money. That scares the piss out of the status quo.
1: Yeah, I could understand why you feel that way. I mean, mm-hmm. the last thing you want is owning a team just strictly to profit.
0: Mm-hmm
1: your hope is a guy owns a team because he wants to win and he wants to make a difference. Like that's why you want somebody to own a team. Um, You know, and I think the easiest way for me to kind of compare how I would feel is that like, I look at a guy like uh, Jerry Jones, he bought that team, bought the Cowboys, wanted to win, helped Mm -hmm. get them to be a winning team. And once he won, We've seen what the last 26 years have been.
0: Yeah, so, unfortunately. Hello? Uh,
1: oh, no, I'm with you. I, I'm oh,
0: okay. You. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I, I didn't know if you had more to go there. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good comparison there. But that'll lead me to uh, another thing I want to talk about because, you know, Jerry Jones, Cowboys, football. Salary cap sport, basketball, salary cap sport, NHL, salary cap sport. You can't go over a certain line without being penalized. But we've also seen the implement, implementation over the last 20 years of a salary cap floor. And you, maybe it's not more of a, well, I think it is a football thing too. But you hear about it more in basketball where you have to spend over a certain amount. You have to spend over a certain amount. And that's one of the problems with baseball. And one of the problems that this CBA negotiations does not address this CBA negotiations. And again, if you haven't seen the the piece Jeff Passan wrote on ESPN.com yesterday, it's really worth looking at what the baseball owners and again. Not talking about the Steinbrenners, not talking about Steve Cohen, not talking about the Guggenheim Group, not talking about the Tampa Bay Rays, not talking about big market owners, talking about the small and mid-market owners. It really is a great piece to show that the owners kind of got so incensed by the idea that the Baseball Players Association was considered the strongest union in all of sports and what they have done over the last 20 years to really kind of consolidate their power and put the players in a position where this whole CBA is basically about getting them to bend over like your favorite porn star in whatever red tube video you feel like watching that particular moment. That's really what this CBA is about here. But, you know, not having a luxury tax floor, the fact that you have these teams who, in a sport that has made money, like baseball might not be as big and as popular with the Utes of America as basketball or football, but baseball is still a multi-billion dollar machine. Don't get it twisted. And the idea that these owners lost so much money that they they can't field the competitive team as a result of the pandemic, we all know that's horseshit. You look at some of this. Okay, so you got salaries for last season, and I'm looking at these numbers on SportsTrack. Los Angeles Dodgers total payroll last season was $271 million. Yankees and Mets were second and third with 205 million and $201 million. And then you have teams like the Baltimore Orioles, the Cleveland Indians, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Miami Marlins, who saw Derek Jeter step down and resign as the CEO of his company and relinquish his share in ownership in the Marlins – Because he knew that his majority owner was not investing the money that he should be and that he thought he was going to get in his team. And those four clubs have a combined total payroll of $240 million last season. Meanwhile, the Dodgers spent $271 million. And of those four teams I just mentioned, none of them have been in the playoffs in at least the last three years. Marlins and Pirates has been longer. Orioles haven't made the playoffs since Buck. Showalter was the manager. Cleveland did make a World Series in 2016, but they traded Francisco Lindor to the Mets before the start of last season, and they're not even close to being competitive. And these guys get away with $50 million payrolls, barely $50 million payrolls. The Tampa Bay Rays ain't even the team with the lowest payroll in baseball. You can give them the lowest payroll in baseball, and you know good and hell well they would still be in that race for the postseason till the last week of the season at the very least. These guys get the revenue-sharing money, they get the TV contracts, they get all that shit, and they don't put it back in the teams. They don't put it back in the teams. It's not right that we're talking about penalizing the teams that spend the most money while letting the lower-market clubs who cry poverty... Spend as little as they want without saying no. You have to spend this much money. We know you have this much money. Stop fucking over your fans and stop fucking over your players.
1: That'd be nice. Yeah, (laughs) but they're they're, these guys make their. I mean, like that's really. There's really no other way to put it. These guys make their money do what they need to do, and there's a reason that they have the money that they have. You know what I mean? Like, I I know it's frustrating and as a fan, it just sucks ass, but yeah, at the same time, it's also disappointingly not surprising. It's probably fair. Probably the best way I can think to say that is like, it is disappointing. Surprising that this is how the, how billionaires are handling it, trying to mess with millionaires and not give two shit about, uh, Mm What's it called? Not give two shits about the um, the fans. Yeah, you know, like when really, all done. They don't. They, the only thing they care about when it comes to fans is the money that the fans have. Yeah, That's-
0: and Manfred. And I, I'm sorry to cut you off there, Manfred, saying that we tried to do the best for our fans today with these negotiations. Oh, I want to stamp him in the neck with a pencil for saying that one. This ain't about the fans at all. This is about the owners just trying to hold on to their little landhills and fuck over everybody else. They don't give a shit about the fans because we haven't even addressed the long-term problems that baseball has, whether it's pace of play, getting the youths to to, to, to you know pay attention to your sport when you have so many different enter- entertainment options out there and how you keep things going for the future. This CBA ain't about any of that. It's all short-term.
1: It, it does. It definitely, um, you know, we were talking last week about how one of the nice things has been like nobody's been really attacking the other side on, mm. you know, in social media or in public. And then these last, these last like two days, all of a sudden you notice those things coming out and you could just not go in the way that uh, the fans wanted, you know. Whether it was going more in the favor of the owners or the players is is what it is. But you could tell it definitely was not going in the direction that any fan wanted it to go once those things started coming out.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to read a couple things from this Jeff Passan article, and I'm I'm, go- I'm not going to make this long here. But there's a couple quotes that I feel like need to be said in case you, because, um, Dave, I, I, from what you told me, I know you didn't get a chance to see this article. I, I don't know if any of our listeners have heard this. This is definitely an article worth, worth reading. It's very long. I will say that, but it's definitely worth it. In 2001, uh, then commissioner Bud Seelig went in front of Congress, Congress, and spoke of baseball's great financial woes. The sport had lost more than $500 million the year before. He told representatives who openly doubted the veracity of his numbers. Without a salary cap, not only might baseball need to contract two teams, it would never achieve competitive balance. That phrase has become baseball's tried-and-true alarm bell. Red meat for low-revenue markets. Sealy didn't get his salary cap, but a year later, the league negotiated the framework of the competitive balance tax that exists to this day. Since the CBT's arrival in 2013, 13 major league franchises have won World Series and 19 have played in it. This is the exact number of teams as in the salary-capped NFL, far better than the nine champions and 14 competitors in the salary-capped NBA NBA. And right there with the 11 Stanley Cup winners and 21 finalists in the salary-capped NHL. In the championship seasons prior to the CBT era, 14 organizations won the World Series and 20 made it. The CBT was about competitive balance like the movie Citizen Kane was about a sled. You hear that. What do you think about that, Dave? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that, that's a pretty savage comparison.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, if you've never seen Citizen Kane, kids, go go see that movie. It's a good movie.
1: I, like I, I actually respect the creativity to it. <laughs> like, yes,
0: <laughs>
1: that is, I, I respect that creativity.
0: That was good. Hmm. I love that. There's there's a couple other really good lines in here, and I'm trying to find them real quick because I'm telling you, Passan did a great job on this article. Um, hey, I'll throw this one out here. Nothing illustrates the evolution of the CBT quite as well as the 2021 season. Only the Dodgers and the Padres exceeded the 2010 million dollar uh, CBT threshold. Five other teams, however, came within 3.4 million of it. MLB had orchestrated the coup of financial coups in collective bargaining, getting what amounts to a salary cap without a floor or a guaranteed revenue split. The players noticed they saw how over the previous two collective bargaining agreements, the CBT threshold rose about 18% while industry revenues grew by at least 40%. They saw that in 2018, long before COVID existed, their average salaries went down as they did again in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, even as the biggest deals in the sport were growing and 300000000 million-plus guaranteed contracts were no longer outliers. They saw franchise values exploding to the point that in 2021, Forbes estimated that 30 major league teams, the 30 teams in baseball, were worth a combined $55.28 billion. Ten years ago, only two collective bargaining agreements earlier, their combined valuations were fifteen point six eight billion. So they rose forty billion dollars over the last ten years. I
1: mean, if you go back to that whole percentage uh, point you were making earlier, that's a yeah. fat per- increase over ten years.
0: Yeah. I mean, pr- truthfully, you could throw what I said about percentages out the window with that. You go up $40 billion uh, in terms of what your franchises are valued, and then you look at a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates spending only $42 million last season. You're worth over a billion dollars, and that's all you can put back in your franchise? Come on now. Yeah. 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 uh, <laughs> think really... Right. Yeah. No, I'm trying to stall for a minute because I want I want to oh okay. You,
1: wanna, you just want to shake your head. That's really I
0: I want to shake my head. I also want to find something else to say here. Okay. All right. So this is this is more of an indictment on the type of commissioner Rob Manford has been since he took over from C League about 10 years ago. Arbitration has always been a contentious process, and players were livid when they learned MLB celebrated tamping down salaries by awarding a championship belt to the team that did it best. So the team that screwed more players out of salary arbitration was awarded a replica championship belt in 2019 for limiting players' salaries. During spring training in 2020, when baseball was reeling from widespread criticism by players that Manfred had been too soft on the Astros for cheating during their championship run, he referred to the World Series trophy as a piece of metal in an interview with ESPN's Carl Ravage. Quote, piece of metal was the Gulf of Tonkin, one longtime baseball man said. It was the aha moment for everyone. And then he did it again recently with everything about how owning a team isn't that profitable. Treating players like they're stupid has never worked. It's never been a great approach. I want you to respond by that, but I'm looking for a particular quote in this right here. Because I saw this earlier, and I think I think you'd find it very I, I think you'd agree with this quote, but you hear that one. What do you think?
1: I think it, it lets you know how the MLB owners look at God the play and what their expectations are. Again, it, it's basically billionaires acting like they're better than everybody because they have more money.
0: hmm Here it is. All right. This is this – is, you might have seen this on Twitter for all I know. If you went and you got the next 1,200 best baseball players in the world – the product would suffer greatly. If you handed Major League Baseball teams over to any competent 30 business people, the sport would not suffer. Actually, it might improve. It doesn't take a billionaire to leverage a spot in a legalized monopoly with profound built-in revenues.
1: Well, and that's the the thing. I mean, you're basically guaranteed revenue if you own a sports team. Yeah. Like, if if you, like, because like you said, even if your team, you know, let's say you break even, like, you still have the revenue sharing. So you're still Mm -hmm. going to, like, there's really no fathomable way to own a sports team and not profit.
0: Yeah, and that doesn't even consider, like, all these teams have their team insignia on so much merchandise. And there is so much merchandising when it comes to baseball. Even the worst teams can sell their freaking profit if for no other reason than, and I tell you, like I said this a few weeks ago, I see this every day where I'm working. Nobody gives a fuck about baseball. But baseball sells better than any other sport in the world. They do it for the fashion. Does those colors match these shoes? Does that match these pants? Oh, I like the way that logo looks. They don't even know what the fucking team is. They don't even know the difference between the Mets and Yankees insignia. They'll buy the hat. You just had a Yankee hat in your hand. Oh, I don't give a shit. I just like that color. Okay. All right, fine. Take the Red Sox hat. Uh, I
1: mean, you're not wrong. Uh, the only hat, I never bought a Met hat in my life, but I bought Yankee hats in the past, but that's just because of oh, tr- uh. I'm a Uh I'm, I'm a big fan of rocking my Adidas with the blue stripes, and, and mm. the hat, that hat color matches perfectly with the blue stripes on an Adidas. What can I tell you?
0: Oh, you hurt me so bad. Mm. David... Huh? Yeah, I know you're not a baseball fan, but you always said you would have identified more with the Med with the Med fans, and you tell me when oh you just, just stick the knife in Dave. Well, I mean, put
1: it this way, <laughs> ask me are, while wearing the hat, are you a fan? the answer would be a clear
0: sure, sure.
1: Uh, I, kinda, I kind of did
0: that when I was seven.
1: But but that also drives home your point, though. Cause I could say no to somebody and they'd be like, nah, I get it.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The point that does
1: that drive home your point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. People coming into my store asking for Arizona diamondbacks hats that I don't have. Nobody, nobody knows anything about the Arizona diamondbacks history. They just like the way the colors look. These teams have built-in revenue streams. They don't have to do anything for it. And all anyone asks them to do is just put the money back in the team. You will still have money to line your fucking pockets. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. (coughs) But with that being said, I do see what time it is. And I know you are on a bit of a deadline tonight. So I think that will end my rant for tonight. I will say I still believe an agreement can be reached over the next couple weeks. Unfortunately, it's going to take the players bending over the way the owners want to for that to happen. And the idea that this can't last the entire season because the players don't want to bend over, that can happen. And I'll tell you right now, if we don't have a season... I don't know how baseball recovers. I really no. don't. In terms of the product on the field. They'll have a season.
1: I, it's when more,
0: I, I don't line, necessarily, go ahead.
1: Funny the line, it always gets figured out.
0: Mm. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I'm just saying we are closer to this happening now than we've been at any point in our adult lifetimes.
1: Outside of, of course, the pandemic, which none of us knew what the hell was going to happen.
0: That wasn't in. uh, I mean, it was, but it wasn't entirely bargaining related. And even that, I mean, the owners knew they didn't want to do anything more than a 60 game season with extended playoffs because they knew how much money they were losing without people being in the stadiums. But they made everybody think that they were negotiating good faith, and then when they got the sixty-game season, Manfred comes out. Well, we knew we weren't going to have more than a sixty-game season. Oh, you knew? You didn't tell anybody, asshole. So that's where we are.
1: Never trust. Never. It's like a politician. You never trust a rich person.
0: Well, Manfred's case, you never trust a lawyer. Because that's what he is. That's what he started out in baseball. He was a lawyer for baseball. I think Cadell actually started close to the same way, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I can't say I know for sure, but that does
0: sound right to me. Mm. I might be wrong on that. I'm willing to be wrong, but I don't think I am. All right. Do you have anything else you'd like to throw in tonight, sir? Ah.
1: Uh... No, nah, man, it was really a slow week, which, you know, obviously sucks for the content of the show. But simultaneously, it's not end of the world when it comes down to uh, being on a tight schedule for tonight. Mm. I I definitely. Um, I hope by the time we connect next week that, you know, a deal does get done. Um but if one doesn't get done, I am quite curious to see uh, Mr. Tinfoil Hat uh, make his next appearance and let us know his thoughts on, on what's going on.
0: Well, I hope he listens to this show because I would love his thoughts on what I said here tonight because I do believe that at least part of the motivation behind the owners not wanting to throw money in is because of Steve Cohen. And I do feel like they are scared shitless because of him because again like dave even you got in and on the comments after thanksgiving weekend when he literally threw about 275 million dollars in player contracts on the table without even batting an eye
1: god that must be nice
0: yeah it, it, right. I spent, I spent
1: two dollars and i bat an eye
0: yeah i i kind of went with the joey d meant uh, with the joey balls method of um of uh, uh some uh, legalized sports gambling i'm not doing three cents i did 10 cents and i'm still batting tonight
1: hey as long as you keep you're winning man uh, that's all we're rooting for here
0: uh i'm hey. not winning i'm not winning as much as i was before but the reason why i crapped out isn't because i was losing is because i needed that money for other shit. so uh,
1: there's Technic- always going to be bills to pay
0: yes yes exactly all right, so that'll do us do it for us here tonight. Thank you everybody for listening to us. I should say listening to me just rant aimlessly for the last 40 minutes. Thank you Dave for letting me do that. I appreciate that. Everybody on all our podcasting outlets, Google podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Anchor, Bullhorn. Always thank you guys. Let's do some final thoughts, Dave Hastings.
1: For the sake of you and Eric and all the baseball fans out there, I hope they figure it out. Um, other than that, continue to send your prayers, and if you can afford it, donations to help uh, all the horrible things that are taking place uh, around the world and and be thankful for uh, what we have here. Uh, but other than that, always a pleasure, and uh, till next week.
0: Well, I will kind of piggyback off of that one. I mean, the truth is... We are fortunate that this is the stuff we get to bitch about here, because at the end of the day, with what is going on over in Europe and Asia, this this is trivial nonsense that you really just hope that everybody involved realizes is trivial nonsense, and that things could always be a hell of a lot worse.
1: Like they say, brother, first world problems.
0: Exactly. Well said. Well said. And I am Mike Aglialoro, your host. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see y'all next week.